Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for joining us. The MMA Sucker Podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton, joined as always by the editor-in-chief at MMA Sucker, Fraser Crone. How you doing today, sir? Yeah, it's all good. Thank you, mate. We're coming off the back of a fairly good UFC London card. It was a bit dicey in times, and then we look ahead to a fairly, on paper, fairly dicey UFC 277 pay-per-view. <laughs> but um, I think... What the UFC have, have done is they've pre-booked UFC 280 in uh, Abu Dhabi and UFC 279 and kind of spent all their budget on that already. And uh, they're going to struggle to fill the UFC 277 card, which, you know, on yeah. paper, like I said, it's not great. But I know we shouldn't be looking forward to October already. Never wish your life away, but that is looking like a tasty card. So, uh, yeah, be sure to check out. I did a, a solo podcast earlier on in the week, Breaking Down. Yes, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, that was amazing. Thanks for doing that, man. Yeah. It was two good opportunities to miss. So, uh, yeah, UFC 27, uh, two, eight, uh, 279 and 280, big fights announced for that. So, uh, yeah, be sure to check the podcast out that we did uh, earlier on in the week. But, uh, yeah, this, this, this pay-per-view is... Uh, to not get up in the morning kind of pay-per-view for us, Brit. <laughs> but let's talk about UFC London a bit. Maybe not a great card, maybe not a disappointing card. Certainly one of the fight events that existed. I don't know how else to frame it. Of like, It had high points, but it had a lot of very dull points. Not necessarily even that low points, but like, let's start right from the very top. The main event, Tom Aspinall landed a kick that would have chopped a small village in half. And Curtin Blades took it right on the meat of the thigh. At some point, the MCL, that's what Bisbing at least told us, the MCL got disconnected and that called caused excruciating pain. What are we talking? 15 seconds into round one. What did we learn from this fight? And it kind of sucks because we know that ACL, MCL tears in a young fighter. That's career changing. I'm sad for Tom Aspinall because of the opportunity in the main event that was missed and potentially the future as well. Fraser, what did you see in the fight? What's the future of these two guys? Yeah, for sure. It's disappointing because the fight was it was shaping up to be a, a fun fight. You know, Curtis Blades was timing Tom Aspinall well. Aspinall was, you know, charging forward straight away, put Curtis on his back foot, pressed him up yep. against the octagon. And, you know, officially it's 15 seconds. It was 12 seconds, really. By the time that he landed the kick and stepped back and, and before Herb manages to step in, we're talking a 12 second fight and yeah like you say it, I, from from what i'm hearing he is an mcl tear and he, he yep. did go into the fight not with a, an injury but he has had knee issues and they were debating in the team whether to have the knee operated on and pull out of the fight or i didn't know that's okay not. yeah so uh i don't think it came as a huge huge surprise to tom aspinall that his knee went and it's just a shame that it went in the biggest fight of his life on the biggest yeah. stage that he's, he's had, you know, main event and again, many people expected him in March just to run through Volkov, and that's exactly what he did. Yes. Now this, there was real questions going into this fight, and unfortunately, none of those questions have been answered really. And I had a bit of a debate with a guy on Twitter. I said that arguably, should this be a no contest? Yes. If we look at it, we two 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 fights stand out for me is last weekend with uh, Brian Ortega and. Yay, Rodriguez. Now, at least yeah. we got the best part of five minutes for that fight. It was four and a half minutes before the, the fight was the fight was called due to the injury. To what degree did Yay Rodriguez cause that injury on Brian Ortega by putting him in the submission? And we learned a lot from that fight. We learned that Brian, Brian Ortega's takedowns are still pretty poor. We learned that Yay Rodriguez was willing to try and wrap uh, Ortega up in a submission rather than just trying to hold and get back to his feet. And we learned the Yay Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez still has huge holes in his defense. 
yeah. going back a few weeks, Alexander Rakic, Jan Blahovic, you could argue that that knee injury was caused by Jan Blahovic checking pretty much every leg kick that Rakic threw him. Yeah. Did Curtis Blades cause his injury on Tom Aspinall after 12 seconds? It's certainly to be debated. I, I don't disagree with the TKO, but after such a short amount of time, you know, you're talking the guys engaged for a total of about 10 seconds. Yeah, so I, did Curtis Blades cause that injury? I'm not so sure, but I, you know, I don't disagree with the TKO, but there's certainly a conversation for a no contest, for my, in, in my opinion. You could make the argument, but it, obviously, you get the other side of it too. Of like, a fighter has declared that he cannot continue for whatever reason. It's the same with uh, uh, Uriah Hall, uh, Chris Weidman. Like, he didn't throw a kick, he didn't throw a single strike, and he still got the TKO win. It's just kind of the way. You couldn't label it no contest. I don't disagree with you on that. It's just the way that we label fights. And a lot of this, as we've mentioned, is an antiquated system from from centuries of boxing. Of like, this is just how we've always done it. Fighter says he can't continue because whatever. So it's a TKO for the other guy. If you want to call it a no contest, I'm not going to fight with you. That's that's fine. Yeah. That's, I think, that's I think fair. For the good of the division, I'm glad that it did go down as a TKO or, or a KO. You know, Curtis Blades now moves on. He came to London. He came looking to get his hand raised. And yeah. You know, get your hand raised by any means necessary, and he did that. So yeah. Tom Aspinall, I'm glad that Tom Aspinall is only what 29, I think Tom Aspinall is, because he can, he can, exactly, he can come again. He, he, he's got 10, 10 years left in the division. You know, look at Daniel Cormier, he's fighting into his late 30s. Yeah, it's disappointing for Tom Aspinall because, you know, especially. From from our perspective, yeah, he, like he's, he's twenty nine. He's twenty nine in April, so he's not thirty until next April. Yeah. The thing that I'm worried about is that these guys, you know, are huge guys. And Tom Aspinall, what did he weigh in at two fifty odd? You yes, know, that's going to put even more weight on the leg of Tom Aspinall when he's rehabbing it. Let's say he fights, for example, Taito Avasa next. Tatu Avasa is going to slam the leg kick, and it's not a flyweight leg kick. This is a heavyweight leg kick. There's 265, 270 pounds behind these leg kicks. Yeah. He has to make sure that his leg is close, as close to 100% as he can get it before mm-hmm. stepping back in the octagon. Otherwise, you know, he's, he's going, he's going in with with a huge, huge disadvantage. If he if he rushes this back and looks to fight at the end of the year, in my opinion, it'd be a it'd be a mistake. But you know, that's that's up to Aspinall. That's up to his team. That's up to the doctors that. You know, if it's an MCL tear, luckily it's not an ACL tear. Let's hope mm-hmm. that we can see him back. You know, maybe headlining again next March in in London. But again, I personally, I I wouldn't risk it. I'd maybe have him yeah. sit out for a year. At twenty nine, sitting out for a year is not a bad thing. And we've seen him sit out for for prolonged periods of time before. You know, he he fought in twenty sixteen, and then mm-hmm. he he returned on Cage Warriors in twenty nineteen. He sat out. For what three years, and you know, was undefeated coming back from that. You know, as he returned from from twenty sixteen, you know, on paper he's he's undefeated until since twenty sixteen. Well, he had a three year hiatus. He, he had a boxing fight, but he sort of you know was working on other areas. Sit out for another year. By this time next year, he'll still only be thirty. You know, yeah. you compare that to the rest of the division. He's still young. You know, Curtis Blades is still young, thirty one for a heavyweight. The yeah. baby not old at all you know and you look at you know you look at the other the other guys in the heavyweight division Derek Lewis fighting this weekend 37 you know Tai Tuivasa who uh, who fights obviously fights Cyril Gann I don't think Ty's too old either so mm-hmm. you know 
tied to Avast the same age as as, um, as Tom Aspinall, twenty nine. These guys are younger guys, and you know it's it's good because it means that we've got a future of the heavyweight division, and you've got Tom Aspinall, yeah. Curtis yeah. Blade, tied to Avast, Seal Gun's only thirty two. I'm not quite sure how old the champion is. I, I know that um, Ghanu is slightly older than the rest of the guys. Yeah, yeah and Ghanu's thirty-five, but yeah. he's also a, an athletic freak. But you know, so we can't really quite put him in the same same conversation. But we had we had a time where it was, you know, Stipe Miocic, who is one of the older fighters, and not you know, he's he's thirty-nine in age, and he's probably about fifty-nine in in wars and in <laughs> in, in the combat age. Yeah, and Daniel Cormier, who was you know an aging aging competitor in the division, you got oh, yeah. John Jones who isn't getting any younger. And at right. one point we were having you know we had the trilogy between Stipe and and uh, Daniel Cormier, and these yeah. guys were older fighters. And now you've got realistically you've got another five to ten years of some of the top guys in the division. You know th- this was seen as one of the semi-finals: Curtis Blades versus Tom yes. Aspinall. Yeah. And then you've got the UFC Paris main event between Taito Avassa and uh, and Cyril Gann as the other main event. Them two got the winner of those two fights fight each other and go on to fight the champion, whoever that is at the time. Certainly. Let's do a round robin tournament of these four guys, you know. These guys are all under you know, Cyril Gann's the oldest at thirty two. And I I don't think he's in his prime. You know, we, we saw that last time out that he wasn't in his prime. But going back to Tom Aspinall, for me, yeah. take a year off you know, rehab yes. that injury and make sure that injury is 100%. Because like I say, big guys, these are big guys. If if he takes a, a kick wrong, you could tear his ACL, uh, MCL yeah. again. And we yep. could see him out for even longer and he'll never be, you know, he'll never quite live up to the potential. But like yep. I say, disappointing then to the main event. But, you know, if, if your body's not ready for combat, your body's not ready for combat. Yeah, it's it sucks. It's it's such a deflated balloon moment, and yeah, you really hope for the future of Tom Aspinall because if he rushes back into the gym and doesn't rehab it properly, knees may never recover in the best of times. You might just be at ninety percent capacity for the rest of your life, kind of best case scenario. Knees are a rough one to recover, but uh, yeah, hoping him all the best. Hopefully, he recovers from this one. Just just a, a real. This was the topper to like what we deserved from the. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of like March was too good. We pay exactly. for it now. <laughs> exactly. It was it was through no fault of I don't think the fighters, it was anticlimactic that the event after yeah. you know, at the end of the day though, you're not gonna get a night like we did in, in March. And No, that I was think... magic. It was serendipitous, like like John Gooden said, like March was in like something special was going on in March. For sure. You know, it was the first event back in London since uh since COVID, since I think it was the I can't remember the last event. Um, it was uh, Leon Edwards, Kamara Usman was the cancelled one. That's how yeah. long we've been sitting around. I don't know what the yeah, exactly. last actual one was. I mean, but... it was the, the main event was meant to be Edwards Woodley. So that shows how far you oh, know, oh, and Woodley's had, what, two fights in the UFC? Yeah. Two boxing matches against Jake Paul. So that <laughs> kind of shows that the, the, the want for a, you know, a fight night that the, the, the UK fans wanted and they got it. And, it, and in March, you know, like we say, that, that that night is is, you know, that is is certainly a, an anomaly. But oh, yeah. there were good performances on this fight on this fight night card, and yeah, we'll, know, get, to them, we'll get to them. The difficult thing was, I think, the the main card didn't exactly start out great, and then you had fan favorite 
Molly McCann putting on the performance that she did, but then you had a fan favourite in Gustafsson getting absolutely flatlined. And then you had Paddy Pimblett, who that first round, yep. you know, you get the crowd all pumped up, and it was a little bit, you know, for 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 a British crowd, that's a little bit of a boring round because it's it's mostly wrestling. There's not yeah. a lot of action. You it was a great round. For us, that yeah, was a great round. It was a great round. You know, we finally saw Paddy Pimblett slightly challenged. And then you go into the co-main event that everyone in the back of their mind is thinking, oh, it's supposed to be Darren Till making the walk here. <laughs> and then you go into the main event and it, the main event lasts, what, 15 seconds, 12 I seconds. Know. So, you know, know. It, it is what it is. I think, like we say, it's never going to live up to March, but there were certainly some standout performances on, 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 this, uh, on this card. One of which was not Jack Hermanson. He fought, this is, Jack Hermanson fought Jack Hermanson's fight. As we've talked about, he is a challenging fight for anyone in the division. He will do the same game plan against anyone and will challenge anyone in this division. Chris Curtis couldn't cut the cage, couldn't figure anything out, and Jack Hermanson just walked circles around him as he does in every fight. Jack Hermanson is not an overly talented fighter. He's not an overly young fighter. He doesn't move up in rank from this. And he doesn't, his, his stock certainly doesn't get raised from this, but I don't think we learned anything from this fight. What, what do you, what did you see in the Jack Romance and Chris Curtis co-main event? No, for sure. I think for me, I was disappointed with Chris Curtis's reaction to the end of the fight. He was saying, you oh, know, yeah. like, someone stand in the middle and fight me. Well, I, I've won 14 minutes of the fight. Why am I now going to just stand in the middle and trade with you and risk getting knocked out? I'm not going to do that. No. I didn't like the way he handled it post-fight and then, Almost post post fight, we saw them, you know, hugging backstage. Jack Manson was the one apologizing in the cage. He's got nothing to apologize about. No. He's just gone on a 15 minute clinic against Chris Curtis, who's a dangerous guy. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. That fight, I think it was a, a little bit, maybe, to be honest, I I think for fans, that was a, a go to the bar and get a beer fight. You know, you just have Paddy Pimblett, you go to the bar and get a beer for the main event and. By the looks of it, you've got to down your beer and get out of the arena because it only lasted 15 seconds, the main event. But yeah. like you say, Jack Manson doesn't move up in the rankings. Chris Curtis, I don't, well, he wasn't ranked, but he doesn't move down. I don't think his stock goes down at all. I no, it doesn't go down. It just is. It just stagnates a little bit. And, uh, but, you know, Chris Curtis was fun all week. And, you know, what's cool. next for both men? I think Chris Curtis potentially gets a, another ranked opponent at middleweight. You know, Brad Tavares is still ranked. Uriah yep. Hall still ranked. Yep. Both of them coming off, off obviously off losses. And for Jack Manson, don't really know what you do with Jack Manson, but maybe maybe Derek Brunson. But does Jack Manson deserve such a big step up in, in the rankings for Manson's eight, Brunson's fourth? If you look right. you look at the the state of the division, you know, you've got Whitaker, Cannoneer, Vittori, yep. Brunson, uh, Alex Pereira, Paolo Costa and Sean Strickland. Now, do you book, rebook the Darren Till fight? No. Well, maybe, actually. Yeah. I don't know how actually long Till's going to be out for, but, you know, potentially that's the fight to make. You know, number eight versus number nine. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a fight on the card that probably went how we predicted it would go unless Chris Curtis could land that bomb. And, you know, he, he wasn't able to cut the cage off. He didn't do a good job of trying to cut the cage off. And he was sort of... It was one... It was ones and twos rather than if you're going to beat Jack Manson, you've got to do three, fours, fives and sixes because we know that he's got that herky-jerky movement where you're going to miss the first four or five shots and then you might land the fifth and sixth. He's but, a good uh, overall like, counter fighter. He's good. He's good in every position. Jack Manson is a good fighter and he, he solidly won this fight. It was just underwhelming, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah. And I think, you know, I, no disrespect to Jack Manson, but I don't think they're going to get anywhere near a title shot. No. Just, and that's maybe just due to the strength of the division above him. It's not... That's nothing against him. It's just that's 
the middleweight division's got plenty of contenders in Whitaker, Vasori, Paolo Costa, Alex Pereira, and then you've got the champion Israel Adesanya. So it's going to yeah. be difficult for Jack Manson to really put a, a run together, but I'm glad that he rebounded uh, rebounded here. Oh yeah, uh, I mean I like Jack. He's a, he's a sweet guy. He's very he's very nice. He's, I like his smile and stuff. Chris Curtis, super cool guy. So I hope all the best for him. But yeah, just couldn't figure out any cage cutting. And you and I, th- I, I mean, I remember thinking like the, the momentum's on his side. This is kind of his coming out part. It is a great fight for him. Couldn't figure out anything. I think maybe part of it, as as as, as other people alluded to, of this the bigger cage. I don't think he knew how to fought it. And he's fought in the apex exclusively, and now he's fighting in the bigger cage against a very elusive fighter in Jack Hermanson. I just didn't think he had any clue as to how to fight in that bigger cage as well. There was a lot of factors, evidently, that were working against him, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even realize. I didn't, you know, clock on that it was obviously the bigger cage, and he wasn't right. able to cut, cut cut it off. But also, you know, Hamanson coming in. Oh, I'm sorry, Curtis coming in on late late notice to fight Jack Hamanson. You know, for Jack Hamanson, the, the the key to victory really was to take Chris Curtis down, and mm. you know. We know that Chris Curtis has got heavy hands. Take him down and and hold him there. Test his cardio coming in on late notice. Don't you know? Don't sort of risk standing with this guy. I think Chris Curtis maybe thought that that's what Jack Manson would do: is, is look to take him down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just completely mixed up the game plan, P- pumping the jab out there all night. Front kicks up the middle to keep the di- keep the distance between the two, and that's how you fight a heavy hitter like Chris Curtis: is keep your distance and keep the long shots coming. You know, you want to keep the jab out there. You want to keep the the the, the kicks up the middle, and the, you know you want to attack the attack the legs to to slow him down, slow his forward momentum, and that's exactly what Hamanson did. I think it was a, a really good performance by Jack Hamanson, just not unfortunately not one that we'll remember because it went to decision. <laughs> anyway, so we'll move down to Patty Pimblett. This was maybe the high point of the night, the the boys' main event, the main event for people there. Patty Pimblett. Uh, was partially out-wrestled and was able to reverse positions, was able to come back in the second round and and, and submit uh, as someone who started wrestling in high school. I genuinely think this was actually quite a good performance from Patty Pimblett. He showed more skills than than I was giving him credit for, and I think he should be proud of this performance. Uh, the future of Patty Pimblett, I'm not going to say he is worth, he's not a Conor McGregor or anything like that, but I think he's going to fight for a title at a high point of his career, at worst in his career. I think that's how high he'll make it. Uh, what do you think of the future of Patty Pimblett? Maybe maybe I'm just on the hype train now. I don't know. What do you think? What did you see in this fight? All that good stuff. Yeah, I mean, all week he stole, him and Molly McCann stole the headlines all week. You know, Absolutely. The amount of times that we saw their faces in comparison to Curtis Blades and Tom Aspinall was, was surprising, to be honest, because they really, they nailed the engagement this week. You couldn't yeah. open up Instagram, you couldn't open up Twitter without seeing Molly McCann and, and, and Paddy Pimblett. And for Paddy to come in, and put on the performance that he did. Like you say, he was largely out-wrestled. He probably lost that first round. There wasn't Arguably. an awful lot of damage done on either side, but you know, maybe you could edge it to Paddy Pimblett due to the end, of, you know, the last 30 seconds to a minute of that round when he did get on top and he was raining down on, on Jordan Levitt. Yeah. Levitt looked like a different weight class. Paddy Pimblett looked huge in there. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, the, on paper, you see, you know, Jordan Levitt took Paddy Pimblett down three times. Paddy took Jordan down once, but Paddy tried four different submissions. Now, if you look at the submission, the reason that that submission came, I wouldn't say easily to Paddy, but the reason that he didn't have an awful lot of stuff coming back from Jordan Levitt is that with the body triangle, he traps the, I think it's the, trying to work it out, but yeah, I think he traps the right arm of Jordan Levitt in the body triangle. Yeah. And then, so Jordan's only got one hand to try and pull, pull, pull or alleviate the pressure on his neck or pull down. 
absolutely phenomenal stuff by Paddy Pimblett. And then he gets on the mic, preaches oh, about men's mental good. health to speak out. And that is what we, that's what we need. That's, you know, he could have easily got on the mic there and just, you know, gone, oh yeah, I teabagged him like I said I would. I, was, I said I'd run through him in a minute. I'm not happy with my performance. Call out, you know, all and sundry. But he stole the headlines, you know. Yes. The BBC, the, the casual sort of like lad Bible shit on Facebook and now saying, oh, look at what this UFC fighter's done. And to, to find out that he, he, you know, sadly lost his friend in or found out just before he weighed in and then to go on with all that pressure. Let's be honest, Paddy Pimble had a lot of pressure, especially after the performance of Molly McCann Absolutely. on his shoulders. Especially knowing how the card had gone previously, you know, lots of decisions, lots of not British friendly decisions, let's should we say, as far as wrestling heavy decisions, you know. Yeah. And to go out there and put on that performance after arguably losing the first round to a guy that you thought that you just run through. I, I genuinely believe that he did think that he just run through Jordan Levitt. And, yeah. you know, now we're, we're instantly asking with a, with a, a guy as, as on such a hot streak as Paddy Pimler, we're instantly asking what's next. And it's oh, exciting. Abs- absolutely. And I'll, I'll throw a couple more things at you. Paddy Pimler and Jordan Levitt, it's good to face adversity in your fights and, and show that you can overcome those issues. That That's actually a very mature thing of you can show development in the cage. Maybe your mind's not quite right for the first few minutes of the fight. He got over it. He showed counters to the stuff that he was struggling with. That's very good. Uh, Patty is a weirdly good speaker. because So I asked him one question. That, I asked him maybe two questions in the press conference. But he talked for seven minutes straight. And here's where I got sold on Patty. Is he talked for seven minutes straight and I was in the fifth row. Because I'm unimportant. He didn't break eye contact with me. He looked at me for seven minutes while he answered my question. This guy is so naturally charismatic. It is ridiculous. Like the future of Patty. I can see why the UFC is throwing money at this kid of like, he is, he can sell a fight. The future, does he get it into the top 10? Sorry, not top 10, top 15. Or do you kind of give him another warm up fight? What do you think? Yeah. So I, I wrote, a, you know, a, a post fight, you know, media aftermath post fight piece on it going through, you know, and just yeah. touching on what you said there, if you're a, a casual fan, you know, you, you don't know that stuff. You know, I didn't know that until you've just said it now, you know, how he, he engages engages the media as, as he does. You see on, on Instagram or on Twitter, you know, doing what he did at the weigh-ins, saying what yes. he says. You could he, he does come across as a bit of a, a joker, not really taking it seriously, balloons up between fights. Yeah. But then you, you, you see that switch and it's something that, I really like from Paddy. You know, he does the walkout. He's giving it everyone. He's, he's trying to get the crowd out. The second he steps through the cage, he doesn't take his eyes off his opponent. And he's done it in every fight so far. And like you say, it's good for, for him to, to face that adversity because comparing him to, to Cyril Gann, Cyril Gann, absolute rise to the top. Never been wrestled. Gets out-wrestled by Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou, never been wrestled. Gets out-wrestled by Stipe Miocic. Now, We've seen the sort of flaws in Paddy Paddy Pimblett's game. He's, he he can he is susceptible to be taken down. He can be controlled on the ground and he can be clipped. That's his first fight, especially which clipped. That's the whole you know scousers don't get knocked out thing. But people aren't going to be afraid to fight Paddy Pimblett because they know for a fact that all the eyes will be on them, and they yeah. know for a fact that he he's he's got his vulnerabilities as has every fighter. But they that we know his vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited for the future, Paddy Pimblett. You know, I think I, in my piece I alluded to what could be next. He's got the history with Aaliyah Tapora, 
but I don't know if the UFC make that fight because that I, is a risky fight. No, I think Ilya Tapura lights them up. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, you know, for me, I I, I, I want to see Paddy Pimblett versus Bobby Green at MSG. I think that would be a phenomenal fight because Maybe. Paddy has got a more oh. well-rounded game, in my opinion, than Bobby Green. He's, he's probably not as good as a boxer. He yep. utilizes kicks a little better. And he's a better wrestler than Bobby Green. Or he'll look to wrestle, whereas Bobby Green won't. Yeah. Bobby Green, none of these guys are ranked. Bobby Green's a huge name, having stepped in on short notice against Islam Makachev. Yeah. I don't know the injury that, that kept him out of the, uh, the Jim Miller fight a few weeks ago when Jim Miller fought Donald Cerrone. I'm not sure what that injury was. but He's got until November to rehab. I think it's November the 20th or November the 5th. I, I can't remember the MSG day, but it's definitely November. Paddy Pimblett versus Bobby Green for me is a fight to make. And a win over Bobby Green gets you in the top 15. He's a gatekeeper to the top 15. Yeah. yeah Both yeah, guys yeah. Will, will, will talk before the fight. They'll talk during the fight. And it's, it's a competitive fight, in my opinion. You know, Bobby Green is on you know, the wrong side of his prime. Paddy Pimblett is on the right side of his prime. And I think it's re- I really do think that's the fight to make. Will it be the fight yeah. to make? Will it be the fight that's made? I doubt it. But I think that's the, the fight to make, in my opinion. I love that matchup. Bobby Green, Patty Pimblett, come on. That's a good one. That's a really good matchup. Let's move down to the sad fight. Nikita Krylov on one foot, not even fully planted. Oh, man, just gets an uppercut knockout against Alexander Gustafsson. This was heartbreaking. It's not even a full power uppercut. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think that's this, Gustafsson's combat age is catching up with him, and, and we saw that in against Krylov, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's nothing not, else to say. Right? It's not much to say on it. It lasted a, a little over a minute, and Gus was battered for a little over a minute. Does he retire? I think so. I think Better. you know, putting, in my opinion, putting him against a ranked guy in Krylov wasn't the right. Krylov was coming off the back of the disappointing Paul Craig fight, and in in March, and and to put him against Gustafsson, who was scheduled to fight a heavyweight a few months ago. I don't. I didn't get it. You know, Gustafsson, he's been. Well, he's never officially the interim champion. He's, he's he's competed for about three times. He's headlined multiple events. I think Call what it. what we'll do with Gustafsson is give him an easy fight in Sweden at the end of the year. I know there's a fight night in Sweden, and then you know give him an easy fight and 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 let him ride off into the sunset. I don't want to see him headlining that Sweden card at all. I want to see him co-headlining against someone who is unfortunately someone who's beatable for, for Gustafsson, which I know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be saying that, but I, I do, I do. No, and, and this isn't this is actually isn't even something that um the UFC are against doing of like some retiring fighter who can sell tickets retiring off to the sunset. You remember like all the softball fights that they gave Mirko Krokop whenever they go to Europe? Like they signed him for one fight. He was fighting in Ryzen, 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 Ryzen. Suddenly shows up in the UFC and when they were in like uh Oh, yeah, he fights Gabe Gonzaga in Poland. Just, like, one-off. He never came back to the UFC ever again. Before that, when they went to Germany, he beat up, like, Mustafa Al-Turk or something like that. Yeah, Mustafa Al-Turk at UFC 99. Mustafa Al-Turk doesn't even fight for the UFC at that time. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't... Exactly. The UFC is not opposed to doing those kinds of things, which, like, we all see it coming, but, like... Unless you're Nate Diaz. Man, Unless you're Nate Diaz, but that's a conversation for another day. I don't know... <laughs> I say I don't know who Nate Diaz is pissed off. He's pissed off Dana White, and they've fed him to Kamzat Shemaev. But you know, it, it, that that's an anomaly. But um, yeah, that's going to be a rough one for Nate. But yeah, going back to like you say, it's they're not opposed to giving retiring legends something straightforward fights, and I think that's what they should do with Gustafsson. I don't want to see Gustafsson in there with you know 
Paul Craig or another ranked guy or a young guy, I just think Gustafsson needs to ride off into the sunset on a win in, in his home country of Sweden. I don't know. What, and, and if you're trying to do that for some guy who's developing, Fabricio Verdum was always kind of a – that's an insane matchup. This guy may be one of the great top five, top three best heavyweights in history. On the other side of his career, and you're going to have him face a debuting light heavyweight going to heavyweight, that was always dirty. And now you're going to have him fight a top 10 at light heavyweight? Give this man a break. Exactly. And if you just look at the light heavyweight rankings, there's no one really, in my opinion, that he beats in the top 10. In the top 15, sorry. Jimmy yeah. Crew, I think that's a tough matchup. Jimmy Crew's younger, he's hungrier. Justin Jacoby's looked absolutely phenomenal yeah. as of late. Johnny Walker's so good. I, I want to see Justin Jacoby fight, you know, looking ahead, wanting to fight Vulcan Ozdemir. That's the fight to make for me. You know, Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, you've got Krylov at 11, obviously, doesn't beat him. Jamala Hill, and then you're into the top 10 where he gets absolutely. Unfortunately, I think he gets finished by most of the guys in the top 10. Sucks to see. It's and, just, it's you know, you don't want to see that, especially from a guy that's done, you know, done so much for the for the sport, especially in Europe, but also done so much for the, you know, if you remember his UFC two three two fight against John Jones, got the location got changed to the other side of America on, I think maybe two days before, one day before, but you know, he's lost, you know. Gustafsson now going back to that John Jones fight, his first John Jones fight. Yeah. Didn't quite realise how bad his record is, to be honest. He's seven and three in it. Sorry, three and seven. You know, he did beat Jimmy Manua in the main event. He Who doesn't beat Jimmy Manua? <laughs> I mean, Alexander Rakic this weekend, if you heard the news, did you hear that? He, Jimmy Manua took a punch Rakic. Not sure how, how much I agree with that. Seeming this was as, in UFC London, just the one that was happening, or was this years ago? No, this was this weekend because obviously they fought, didn't they? they Jimmy Jimmy Wano's last fight, last professional yeah. fight, Rakic sent him to the shadow round with that head kick. Yeah, and uh, he, for whatever reason, they must have gone back and forth on on online, and and Mano sucker punched him. But yeah, for me, going back to Gustafsson, you know, seven and three in his last in his last uh, ten fights is. You don't want to see that for a guy who's already retired once and returned. So, yeah, whether it be a heavyweight, which I hope it's not, but let's hope, you know, 205 on a full camp in Sweden at the end of the year retires and calls it a day because he is a legend of the sport. You know, that fight against John Jones entered the Hall of Fame. He got his jacket this weekend. And, well you know, we, we don't want to see we, we don't. I don't need to see Gustafsson get beaten up anymore. No, so there's not much left. Give me fight not- for Gustafsson. Yeah, man, it's rough. Anyway, Meatball gets it done. Round one, spinning back elbow combined with punches knockout. She does it again. She adds another one to the highlight reel. Two in the same year. Two in the same building. Meatball Molly McCann earns a first round TKO finish against Hannah Goldie and lights the... This this card needed it. This card really needed that energy boost. What do you think of Molly McCann knocking out Hannah Goldie? Yeah, I completely agree that it needed it. You know, Paul Craig was... Fighting Paul Craig's fight. I mean, I don't want to touch on the fight too much because it was just meh. It was just, you know, you know, I know know we're talking about Molly McCann's fight, but Paul Craig is just going there and flopping on the floor or not driving through with a double leg. Try and get on top of Volkan Ozdemir because we've seen holes in Volkan Ozdemir's game when he's when he's the bottom fighter. That was 15 minutes of a fairly uneventful, disappointing fight. Paul Craig missed an opportunity there. And then you're thinking, 
Exactly. So. Exactly. And it's just showed how one dimensional he is because he did look good on the feet, but he just didn't yeah. didn't want to risk it against Ozdemir, which you can't really blame him for. But going back to uh, Molly McCann. Ozdemir and she... Krylov both called each other out in the press conference without knowing it. So that's probably the next fight. And that's a great fight. But, yeah, for oh, sure. I, I mean, you know, you're not going to, you're going to get two guys that are going to at least walk forward and want to fight. Paul Craig, he always wants to fight, but he didn't want to exchange. It's disappointing, especially Paul Craig, you know, Paul Craig gonna Paul Craig, and he's gonna pull guard, and it's a it's a shame. But you know, it is what it is. But yeah, going back to Molly McCann, she just does what she does. She, and I don't think she saw any danger from Hannah Goldie. And no disrespect to Goldie, but rightfully so, Goldie was put in that position to lose to Molly McCann. You know, Hannah Goldie, she was one and two in the UFC heading into the bout with her only win coming against uh, Emily Whitmire last time out. But she had a, a spout of pullouts, you know, she had almost a year off. Yep. She lost to girls that realistically aren't great fighters, to be honest. And then you go in there against Molly McCann, who Molly's, that run of form for Molly McCann, you know, she she had the fight of the night um, back in September last year. That that spinning back elbow against Lorena Carolina, and then I think this 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 performance as a whole, maybe not the knockout, but the performance as a whole, was better than a performance in March because she dominated. You know, there was one one time where um, Goldie looked to to get it to the floor, and as soon as they popped back up, there was a massive overhand right from Molly McCann, knocking Goldie back into the fence, the spinning back elbow, and then you know she she she. Put an absolute stamp, and we're automatically already looking at what's next for for Molly McCann. Now, Antonina Antonina Shevchenko, that is a good call out. That is like on her level call out. That's a good yeah, one for sure. You know, I, again, I wrote a, a piece on on MMA soccer this week, m- uh, matching. I can't say you know, there's too many M's. Matchmaking meatball Molly McCann, you know, and she she called out Antonina Shevchenko, and it was a respectful call out, and I. You know, I put two of the suggestions there. Tracy Cortez, for me, would be a really good fight because she's ranked. She's not a huge name other than being the girlfriend of Brian Ortega. And to be honest to Cortez, she deserves to be a lot more known because she is a good fighter. But she's not. She she comes in, she's wrestle-heavy, and she needs those eyes on her. And fighting Molly McCann, you'll have the eyes on the world of, on you. And, you know, same with Amanda Rebass. Amanda Rebass is ranked number 15 at flyweight. Never won at flyweight, but it is what it is. And yep. then, you know, we had, a, a, you know, another piece went out on the site last night. Miranda Maverick called out Molly McCann. A tougher yeah, fight than Anthony. Again, that's a good call. I think Maverick might be too much for her. I think Maverick takes that one. <laughs> I mean, Maverick's got a fight there. She's got a fight book next month on the uh, on Usman uh, Edwards card against Shana Young. So I think if, if she gets on, if she doesn't take any damage, she gets a big big performance against Shana Young next month. She gets on that mic and she calls out Molly McCann again. Put light it up. Sc- Molly McCann and, and Paddy Pimblett for me don't fight in the UK for a long time. They're pay-per-view cards only now and they have to they have to both be on the same card all the time now. Because it's just the interaction for the UFC alone. They'd be stupid not to. And I agree. if I'm Miranda Maverick, I absolutely go out there. I fully, fully focus on Shana Young. But then I go out there and I call out uh, Molly McCann for yeah. an MSG showdown, and there's no reason yeah. why the UFC wouldn't book it. It's a certainly a step up in competition for McCann, 
and it's a chance for Miranda Maverick to get eyes on her. And, to, you know, like I say, fight, uh, fighting Meatball Molly McCann is going to get a lot of media attention. And the same with yeah. fighting Paddy Pimblett. So, uh, you know, she'd be Man. stupid not to call up. Could you imagine these two at MSG? <laughs> exactly. You know, I think that's the way to go. And it, the timelines work out. July to November is, you know, Fine. you're talking four months for two guys that took next to no damage. You know, yeah. Paddy, yes, Paddy went into the second round. The, the damage that he took was, was minimal. You know, he didn't have a scratch on him. He said he heard his <laughs> hitting like this guy's skull, which exactly. maybe he's yeah. true. You know, but that's, that's icing it for a couple of days and then he'll be back. You know, it's not a Tom Aspen on the injury. But, you yeah. know, Hannah Goldie landed nine strikes on Molly McCann. Molly is absolutely untested. And once she gets over the hangover, she'll be straight back in, uh, in training camp. Well, it was a great performance. And like, this is, you build stars. We know in reality, Molly McCann is not going to fight for a title anytime in her career, but she can take that Chris Lieben spot of like, she's going to have fun fights out every time. You can put her on a pay per view because we know that she's an action fighter. And let's, let, you know, I think she might have an idea of that. She called out Antonina Shevchenko. Like, she, she has some idea. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? And, you know, Shevchenko's coming off one win, a split yeah. decision win. And that was a couple of weeks, or last week or a couple of weeks ago. She's not ranked. And, you know, she has a clear flaw in her game. It's the wrestling round. Why not? That's a great call-out. You know, get get your the longest winning streak in the UFC, the 5-3. Get that fourth win against Shevchenko, which, you know, I'd, I'd be picking, if that was fight to be made, I'd be picking Molly McCann because of the flaw in, in Shevchenko's game. And like I said, I think it's a good call-out and it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, again, for me, it doesn't matter who she fights, but it's MSG. MSG is the fight to make. Her and Paddy Pimblett walking around New York will oh. attract the eyes of the world, and it's 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 it's, it's the fight. To, it's the location for both of these guys, and it, it makes a lot of sense. You don't want to stick them in a, you know, like this weekend, stick them in a in a, in a Dallas, Texas, because there's too much going on. When the when the UFC comes to New York, you're gonna see it, yeah. especially you know we don't know who's headlining the card, but potentially a McGregor headline. Could be. It, it makes a lot of sense, for my, it, in my it, opinion, it, to put these guys on that card. Chandler Portier is rumored for that card as well. Exactly, that is- yeah. And that will get the eyes of the world because you can imagine the, the, the highlight reel of Chandler Poirier, two spinning back elbows by Molly McCann, Paddy Pimblett calling out, you know, preaching mental health. It, it, the, the promo rides itself. The UFC, if you're listening, me and Tim will sort that out for you. And hire us. Um, so anyway, there's only two other fights I really want to talk about on the card. If there's any, I skip over. Let's just link back. But Nathaniel Wood goes up in weight class, sized it, it, it way. Yeah, this was the one I said, I haven't watched a single fight. You said, watch the Nathaniel Wood. You weren't kidding. This kid, I'm excited for the future of Nathaniel Wood. That speed advantage. He had a power advantage. He defended takedowns in this fight. When he was taken down, he got up. Nathaniel Wood going up in weight. What do you say about this kid? Yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm so chuffed for Nathaniel Wood after he, he had the match, you know, the match fight. Two two fighters drop out on him. Yeah. And everybody knows if they read any of my articles, if they listen to the podcast week in week out, they know that I love a low leg kick. <laughs> Nathaniel Wood chewed up the leg of Charles Rosa like I haven't seen in a number of weeks. Yeah, I say that we saw it with Emily Dakota and uh, Jessica Penne last week, which we didn't touch on, but you know. This was completely different. And I don't know why leg strikes are not counted as knockdowns. You have thrown a strike and caused your opponent to be grounded. Yes. Due to their inability to stand up. Yeah. 
count is a knockdown. You know, Nathaniel Wood wasn't um, wasn't credited with any knockdowns in this fight, and yet he knocked he knocked Charles Rosa down about four or five times due to Rosa being unable to stand on the leg following a following a low calf kick. And I just I agree with what you're saying because knocking down a professional fighter due to leg kicks might be a bigger like feather in your cap. Like that is more important because this isn't fighting like me knocking me down with leg kicks. A professional fighter who's trained his life absorbing leg kicks. You knocked him down. That should be worth something. That's notable. Exactly, and you know, I think one of the a couple of the scorecards had it. Yeah, two thirty twenty six is in a thirty twenty seven. That's fair. But you could be talking thirty twenty five for some of these, especially. I think the second second round, he knocked him down three or four times with the leg kick. Nathaniel Wood looked absolutely phenomenal. And what was interesting is obviously he's a smaller guy coming up. He looked a lot smaller in there, and he still took licks off Charles Rosa, and and you know continued to walk forward. He played up to the crowd when he needed to. There was that dicey moment at the end of the first round with the uh, with the choke, but he managed to fight out of that, and. Nathaniel Wood for the performances and looking not to get 50k, but you know, take a moment to, to tip your cap to Charles Rosa. How I, I'm hoping that they got a little extra bonus because yeah. Charles Rosa was in there for 25 minutes uh, for 15 minutes. He could fewer fighters would have would have completely crumbled with the pressure that Wood was putting on and the, the leg kicks that he was landing and the fact that he was landing clean and he was just you know he had the crowd on his side or Rosa had the crowd against him. Phenomenal performance by Wood. Phenomenal heart and grit shown by Charles Rosa, and they were really unlucky not to get the fight of the night. I, I agree. I was hoping to see a performance bonus next to Nathaniel Wood's name. I'm, I'm let down, uh, but you know his stock rises. He's in the back with a cup of tea. He made some moments. He made some major highlights in this fight. The only other fight I really want to talk about in this card is Muhammad Bakayev getting a very close. Couldn't get anything done against Charles Johnson. Both you and I credited Charles Johnson with like this guy is better than most people are giving him credit for. Um, and he showed that this is a fight where he lost and his stock probably rose. Muhammad Akayev probably didn't get much of a rise in his stock value in this one. Uh, I Charles Johnson is very good. He was countering takedowns. He, he was stalling him at every opportunity. I don't know if Muhammad Akayev is going to be the guy to break John Jones record. He has about a year and a half left, but both of these guys will be top five in two years. I have no doubt about that. What do you think of the performance? What do you think of the future of these two young men? Yeah, for sure. And you know, like like we alluded to, I think we, I think we, spoke, if we didn't speak about it on the podcast, we spoke about it off air. Charles Johnson is probably better than a lot of UFC flyweights yeah. that are already he's, on the roster. This is remember, this is his debut. Yeah. The haircut aside, he <laughs> fought a very smart fight. Of, you know, I'm I'm not going to put myself in danger. I don't want to be finished on my UFC debut by this guy who's running, enjoying yeah. a hot streak. Yeah. But you've got to credit Mohamed Mokhaev. You know, twelve takedowns. It broke the UFC flyweight record for a three-round fight. Mm-hmm. He was never in danger, Makaev. And from no. what I hear, he had a bit of a botched weight cut. He put on too much weight after his weigh-in. So he, he was fighting up almost, you know, he, he could have weighed in at featherweight. So it's 145 pounds, Same. which, you know, and that's just inexperience. I think he's still only 21. You know, he's 21. He was born in the year 2000. No, he's 21. <laughs> makes me feel a little bit sick, to be honest. But it's, uh, but you know, I know. I, I mean, if you look at his his stats, are all skewed. But he take down average 11.27 per fight. I mean, Mohamed Mokhev is the future of the division. There's no doubt. At 21, he's got another 15, 16 years in the in the game. 
there was chances there for I think Johnson to do a little bit better than he did, rather than just accepting the position. Was that the guillotines close at the end? They looked close to me, but like he just kind of yeah, gave them up. Kind of let them go. Yeah, it was. I think I it was a very much. Uh, I'm coming in here to attempt to stop the hype, and after the first round, he was taken down. How many times in the first round? You know, four four of eleven takedowns in the first round landed by Markayev. Control for four four minutes and eight seconds. I mm. think Charles Johnson then realized, right, I'm I'm not going to be able to out wrestle this guy. He's going to be relentless. I'm just coming here not to be finished. And mm. you know, fair play to Charles Johnson. Like I say, he gets without a doubt gets another two or three fights in the in the UFC to prove himself. He's the LFA champion. But for for Mokov, I don't think you match him in the top fifteen next. I think I don't think so either. You know, I think you, you match him just outside of the top 15. Not even sure who you match him with because I, I can't lie. I don't know the flyweight division and awfully well. But you're looking at guys in the top 15. You know, Manuel Capes ranked number 13. Tim yeah, Elliott ranked number 10. That These are tough fights for Mokhaev. You know, Tim Elliott's got far much, far too much um, experience to fight Mokhaev. I think he dominates Mokhaev, to be honest. But, but Styles makes fights. Like they're the only wrestlers in this division who are very like wrestler heavy. Askar Askarov and uh and uh Makayev, right? Like the rest yeah, of them are kind sure. of strikers. Like that's a good division if you're a wrestler, but I think Charles Johnson can get a lot of wins in that top fifteen. Yeah, for sure. And like like we say, these guys will probably be top five in you know, we'll, we'll sit down in two years and they'll probably be top five. But Makayev, I think he just needs to accept, you know, John Jones is a freak. That, that record is going to stand. You know, Macy Barber is the last person that I can remember really saying, I'm going to break that record and look what happened to her. <laughs> exactly. She's, she's not even close to a title shot. And yes, she had the injury, but she's now already older than, than Jones was. Yeah. For Mokhev, don't rush it. You know, you're 2-0 in the UFC and you've already gone 15 minutes in the UFC, which is in, in a, you know, who would have thought two or three years ago we'd be talking about in a crowded arena, but... That is a big factor for Mokhaev. That's the most people who probably would have fought in front of, you know, both maybe March. I can't. I don't know the the, the crowd numbers, but for Mokhaev, don't rush it. You know, you've got your whole fighting career ahead of you, and yeah, just 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 take take it as it comes and and take it easy a little bit. Yeah, agreed. I think I don't think I don't know. I hope one of his managers kind of told him that because him at least is not saying that. So we'll see who wins out. I think, like you said, maybe another development fight kind of here and there to really like clean up the game a little bit. Because he's obviously all the talent is there. Oh, it's just doubt. without a doubt, it's just kind of like putting it all together in the cage. And also where people like he's he's a little bit more wrestler. He's a little bit more John Fitch than he is Matt Hughes, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. Especially in this fight, you know, he he was seemed he seemed happy to not search for too. You know, he hasn't been accredited with any sub sub attempts. He he seemed happy to not try and manipulate Johnson into giving up his neck or giving up his back. He seemed happy to hold him there, not land. You know, twelve significant strikes landed for each man, so they landed the same amount of significant strikes despite the fact that Mako was on top for pretty much fifteen minutes. And and you know, that's not Habib would never do that. He, Habib was trying to murder sure. people. He's, he's like, exactly. oh, the sub isn't working. Ground and pound. If the ground and pound's not working, sub. You know, he's always. And, you know, for, for us, we're excited to see Mokhaev next because we know that he can strike. We know that he can wrestle. For the, the casual fan, I don't think they're going to be tuning into the next Mohamed Mokhaev fight based on that performance. I'm I think, excited. I mean, we are, of course, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, based on that performance, you don't tune into the next Mokhaev fight. 
And, you know, looking further up the card, you don't tune into the next Mark Giacchese fight because he was just wrestling heavy, boring. But, you know, why not? If you're Mark Giacchese, you've had a bit of a rough ride as of late. Why not wrestle, you know? And the same, you know, for me, the other the other standout performance was, or standout, the notable performance of Jai Herbert picking up another uh, a win. Finally, he's getting matched with reasonable matches. And it's a competitive yeah. fight. He lost the first round, in my opinion, and then won the next two against Kyle Nelson. But Jai Herbert, I think, whoever he's matched up with next, hopefully it's another favourable matchup or, or reasonable matchup, shall we say, because he hasn't been given reasonable matchup so far in the UFC. But I want him to do two or three rounds hard sparring in the back before he, he comes out because he was flat in that first round. He didn't look like he he was ready to go. And, you know, lucky for him, he, he did manage to, um, to rally in those last two rounds and really, you know, really put it all together and, and, obviously get his hand raised but uh yeah it was a little bit disappointing that first round but you know we, we saw the potential that Jai Herbert has to to really make a, a bit of a stint on this uh on this lightweight division yeah I've, I've wondered about like Jai like what what is the future of this guy uh, he I think he's underperforming for how good he is but maybe I'm just a bad judge of like how good he actually is I don't know yeah. I can't tell I can't read exactly this. I mean when you're facing you know Taporia Trinaldo Moicano in your first three losses. Those are big. Yeah, that was a tough Yeah. And, you know, the other disappointment on the card for me was Mandy Bomb. She looks not good. She's Um, looked bad in her US. I wrote a prospect watch for her last year, and I look like an idiot now. I was excited. (laughs) I was very excited for, you know, she lost a unanimous decision to Ariane Lipsky in her first first fight. No no shame in that. Ariane Lipsky, you know, she's been ranked, I believe, at at points. She's... And she is a solid fighter. Victoria Leonardo. She's not that good. <laughs> Victoria she, Leonardo. She, if Mandy Baum's got any, you know, she is still young. She's not that young, Mandy Baum. I thought she was a lot younger than she is. You know, she's, she's in her thirties now. Nine fights or eight fights or whatever. Yeah, I know. I you'd expect personally. I expect Mandy Baum to be probably putting Victoria Leonardo away. But fair play to Leonardo. You know, she she ground it out and she got it done. But it's. It's disappointing if you're a Mandy Baum fan because she's on paper and her past fights would suggest she's a lot better than she's showing, but it's just not quite coming to fruition. We had uh, two two German journalists there. Like, one was from DAZN and I forget the other one, but they were both like big publications, but both of them just said like, we're, we're here for Mandy Baum. Like that's why we were sent here is to cover her. And then after the fight, I was like, no, what a waste of time for you. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, you know, she... That's how bad her performance is. She has two fights left on the contract, is what I'm told. But like, that's I, I don't know what you do with Mandy. She's she's not really living up to the hype that she was, that she was like that I expected her. She's underperforming by a long shot. Yeah, and, and no disrespect to Victoria Leonardo, but if you can't beat Victoria Leonardo, who do you fight next? A promotional newcomer? I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's dicey for Mandy Baum. She needs a big performance in her next uh, in her next fight. Uh, anything else on this card that you want to cover off? I think there's just two fights we haven't talked about, but we have you know, we'll go ahead. Yeah, we got 10 minutes to talk about UFC upcoming 277. And let me tell you from someone looking at uh, numbers, from listening to the crowd, listening to the Twitter sphere, this, this has less than, I, I don't know what to say on, like, this has no excitement surrounding this card, you know? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's an exciting card because there's a few competitive fights, but. Not a stay up card. <laughs> I honestly can't believe I'm saying this. The two main cards are quite good. That flyweight yeah. title fight is very good. Uh, that that's it though. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm intrigued as to what happens in the women's bantamweight fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Intrigued. But I would be surprised if Amanda Nunes... Let's go into it. Obviously, Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena, the last fight and ended in the second round. I've got a piece coming out later on today. Juliana Pena's keys to victory. I've watched that first fight about 15 to 20 times because it only lasts seven, eight minutes. Dodge the jab. Dodge the jab. Juliana Pena looked pretty bad in that first round. She got knocked down by a jab. She got knocked... Well, you know, the weight was taken from underneath her with a leg kick. She was pretty much dominated on the floor. She couldn't really get her submissions going on the floor. Second round starts. Amanda Nunes smiles blood and then just starts hooking and, and going. And, and Juliana Pena, she's constantly dummying the, the rear leg kick. And then it's the check left hook that was landing. And then Nunes, for whatever reason, just, Kept just went full this. Amanda Nunes, Chris Cyborg, and thought, I am the heavier hitter. If I land on her chin, I will knock her out. And that didn't happen. And, you know, this is legacy-defining fight for Amanda Nunes. If Amanda yeah, Nunes loses to Juliana Pena again... You're a fan of boxing. It's definitely boxing this must have been frustrating to re-watch that fight again of just like how is the ducking jab just every time every time how is someone not dodging that every time out right i mean i don't know she what didn't... happened to her in between in between rounds I, I don't know what happened in between rounds you know sorry i interrupted though it's no no i mean like you say how can she not She's not not dodging the jab she's not even blocking the jab it's just landing and it's just landing and it's just land you know, put your hands up yeah. or throw a front kick up the middle or at least when Pena throws a jab, come over, come round the come round the jab or put Pena off wanting to throw that jab and land that jab. You know, if, if you get cracked with a jab, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's a, it's a fair strike. Get cracked with another one, okay, she's a little bit quicker than I thought on the feet. Get cracked with another, it's like, okay, what, what's going on now? Seven, eight, nine jabs later, prevent her from throwing that jab. Throw the high kick so that she has to. You know, we saw we saw her not calling home out Cole with a high kick. Throw the high kick so that Pena has to get her hands up so that she can't be throwing that jab. Come around the jab with a with a looping hook. Throw straight shots, you know, jab with the jabber. But no, Amanda Nuno decided to try and receive the jab and it wasn't even a counter. It was jab, right, you're back in position, I'll hook. Okay, you blocked it. Penny did a great job of, of mixing it up with a jab and a check left hook. And she, she you know, she rocked Amanda Nunes because Amanda Nunes was standing quite far out of out of range. So when she did loop in to try and jab Pena, Pena was able to time her with the uh with the check left hook and it sort of it knocked Amanda Nunes back on her heels a couple of times. Yeah. But Juliana Pena, do what you did in the first fight for the first couple of minutes, and then you've got to mix it up, you know. A little alluding to the article that I've got coming out, a little video analysis using the gifts and stuff. Links Juliana Pena. Nice one. Yeah, link will be in the description. But Juliana Pena has to make this. If I'm Juliana Pena, I make this boring. I receive booze. I I grind out Amanda Nunes along the fence for the first 15 minutes. Ama- Juliana Pena has shown that she is good in the clinch. She's slightly shorter than Amanda Nunes, mm-hmm. and against Jermaine Durandamy, she really pushed, drove that head up in the neck of Jermaine Durandamy. Yes, she was caught in a guillotine because she shot him for the takedown. Don't shoot him for the takedown against Amanda Nunes unless unless mm-hmm. it's a clinch and a trip, like a, an inside or an outside trip, which she did against 
uh, Jermaine Durandamy again, and which Nunes was taken down by uh, Raquel Pennington. You know, she needs to she needs to fatigue Nunes, and then she can stand with her. And then you know, another one. So you know, clinch, wrestle, and stall is is one of the keys to victory. The second key to victory is straight punches for for Juliana Pena. She came around with a lot of looping hooks. Now she starts to throw these straight punches, and then she comes with the overhands and the and the looping hooks, and she works her body a little bit on the inside. She'll keep Amanda Nunes guessing, and Amanda yeah. Nunes won't be able to come around with her, with her, you know, her looping hooks and her straights if if she's striking at the same time as Pena. Mm-hmm. And the third is, is tighten up your defense. At the end of the day, Juliana Pena, yes, yeah, she receives a lot of shots by Amanda Nunes in that first fight, especially that first round. But she got knocked down by a jab. She got a, a, a calf pretty much eaten up pretty badly. She needs to tighten up her defence because Lightning might not strike twice for Pena and she might not get a Nunes on an off day. Now, Nunes has obviously ditched ATT and started her own team, which I'm excited to see in a way. You never know if this is a benefit. Like yeah. Other guys have done it. And like, it worked for Overeem, for Gilbert Melendez. It was like the worst thing he ever did. Exactly. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And I don't think it's broke for Amanda Nunes. She just, she was caught, you know, it, it just seemed like she was caught cold in that second round. But, you know, you can't beat Valentina Shevchenko twice, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Raquel Pennington, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm. Pretty much every... Exactly. She's beaten everybody. She's beaten a who's who. And then you you suffer one loss. And let's be honest, it was a freak loss. Pena was the biggest underdog on the card. And and you you ditch your team, you know. Will it work? Will it not? We'll find out on Saturday night. But oh, I mean, like we say, we'll find out on Sunday morning because this is not a card to stay up for. But uh, for me, Amanda Nunes's legacy depends on this fight. If she loses against a Pena, a goat status is is you you know she she can't be classed in the goat conversation for me. Which is it's too bad because statistically. If, like, we talked about one of John Jones, the real feather in the cap, is that he beat six champions in a row. Amanda Nunes is in that conversation where she beat every champion between two weight classes. And then we're still like, yeah, but we just can't quite make the argument. And I want to make the argument for her. But, yeah, you got to you gotta really prove it here. But she, I, this is a must-win fight. If she loses two in a row to, to Juliana Pena, does she retire? You know, does she retire, and where where does her legacy sit on two losses? That's the, that's the thing. I think this, like I say, it's legacy defining for Nuna. She has to win this fight, and she has to look dominant doing it. If she grinds out a split decision for Pena, you'll probably get a third fight because there's no one else really in the in the women's bantamweight division aside from maybe Ketlin Vieira, and that's not an entertaining fight for anyone to be honest. Amanda no. Nunes has to look good if she yes. if she's going to win this fight, she has to look good doing it. For Pena, she can make this a boring fight. She can make this a, a, a ground out decision victory where she just edges a, a three to two or a four to one. She can. If I'm Pena, I get booed by the crowd because I'm stalling. I'm 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 John Fitching, Amanda <laughs> Nunes. I'm not looking to to Khabib Amanda Nunes. Because why not? You've already got that blockbuster win over Amanda Nunes. No one will remember the second fight, but they'll remember the first. And then she moves on and she holds on to her belt. Yeah. I think if Amanda Nunes to win this, she's got a win in, in she's got a knock she's got a knock she's got a finish Pena. 
and and look solid doing so. You know, if she cruises through a, a Felicia Spencer type fight or a, or a, a Jermaine Demandamy type fight when she just makes it a bit boring. It's yes, it's a win, but is it a legacy defining win? Have you really put a stamp on that rivalry? No, you haven't. So you know, for Amanda Nunes, I think she really has to to stamp out any doubt that she is the superior fighter and that she needs to knock Pena out or, or, or finish Pena uh, via submission and look flawless doing it. Yeah, major cosine with all of that. She's older than she ever was before. Maybe motivation was in question. And I understand all those sentiments. This is this is athletics. Like that stuff happens. Like they just exactly. you age up. You know, fighters get old overnight and, and whether you know it's just caught up with Nunes having to drop down from featherweight to bantamweight to featherweight to bantamweight. Or she had COVID, she had quite a bad bout of COVID. That's why the first fight between the two was uh cancelled. You know, maybe maybe her, her career and her, and, her, and life has just caught up with her. Obviously, she's got the child now as well. Maybe life's just caught up with her and she can't. Yeah. She hasn't got the same motivation like you like you alluded to. And I understand. Uh, so I'm just looking at the statistics now. Between two weight classes, uh, between featherweight and bantamweight, she has beat every single champion between two weight classes. She has almost done it a third because she beat Shevchenko. If she beat Nico Montano, it would have been three weight classes. But Nico Montano is I think ruining it's safe to her. say that she would have beat Nico Montano. I think I could say that with fair... You know, Are you sure? I, I'll make fights, but I'd, I'd put my house on Amanda Nunes, unfortunately. <laughs> And oh, what a ruined statistic! Thanks, Nico. Uh, one more <laughs> fight on this card because we are running out of time, and I guarantee no one else wants to talk about anything else. This fight is going to be chaotic. I'm so excited for Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. I don't know what to predict. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be awful. It's going to be amazing at times. I expect a full mess and a full like masterclass in this bout. I don't know what to expect. What do you see in this one coming in? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I watched the fight a couple of days ago and I watched it again this morning at the gym and, and the first fight wasn't awfully competitive aside from the first round. I think Kaikara France won the first round, Brandon Moreno won the second and Brandon Moreno dominated the third round. He 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 broke Kaikara France in that third round, in my opinion. You know, Kai had his back up against the fence. He was Brandon Moreno's landing on him at will. The high kicks were landing something that Brandon Moreno did really well was the check left hook to the body and the check left uppercut. Um, Solid. Sort of like a, a looping sort of almost, it, it was an uppercut because obviously it's coming from sort of his waist, but yeah. it was the lead hand and it was coming sort of round, but it was sort of almost landing like an uppercut, but he was throwing it like a hook sort of diagonally yeah. almost in, in the first fight. And you compare that to the Brandon Moreno that we saw against Figgy. Brandon Moreno has got so much better, and so is Kaikara. So is Kaikara France, but I can see Kaikara France needs to throw a lot more feints because he barely threw any. And surprisingly, coming from you know working with Adesanya, Brad Riddell, you know Volkanovski, these guys are famous for their feints at City Kickboxing. Yes, Kaikara France has to throw more feints in this one because he didn't throw an awful lot of feints against Brandon Moreno, and I think Moreno kind of saw him saw everything. He saw everything in front of him coming because he was throwing the, the one-two. And I think Kaikara France is a heavier hitter, potentially even the faster fighter. And yet, I think Brandon Moreno is the better striker, despite being slightly slower, ever so slightly slower. These are flyweights. These are fast, fast guys, but slightly slower and with slightly less power. And I still think he's a better striker, which is ironic. But, uh, you know, how do you deal with... A, a heavy hitting striker like like uh, Kai Kara France. 
I mean, you go, you you fight uh, Everson Figueredo three fights in a row. Insane. <laughs> I mean, Brandon Moreno is just it is drilled into him for three fights in a row to not get hit by a big big looping shot. And yes, he was tagged a bit in the last fight more than he more than he was in the in the first two. Mm-hmm. But what preparation? What good preparation that is for Brandon Moreno to be able to stand in front of a heavy hitter and not get hit. Now, I don't think Kai Kara France holds the power that um, Figgy does. I don't think anyone at Flyweight holds the power that Figgy does. But Moreno has prepared well for Kai Kara France by fighting Devilson Figueredo. And I, I, I expect this fight to be really, really good. You know, both guys have improved massively since they uh, since they last fought each other. You know, the last fought... When was that fight? That was... Usman Covington won 2019. Yeah, it's forever ago, right? They're different I mean, fights. They're exact, completely different fights. You know, Car- Cara France had three fights in the UFC. Moreno uh, had joined the UFC. He left the UFC. He'd rejoined the UFC. He was coming off three losses. Um, Brandon Moreno. And, you know, it, it was a phenomenal fight then. And I think this will be fight of the night without a doubt. Oh, yeah. I, I completely co-sign with you. I expect full chaos. I'm going to pick Kai Kara France just because Brandon Moreno, like you said, is the better fighter. Brandon Moreno will give it up at times just to like every once in a while. I, it, it, those are some of the things that he really learned in the God of War fights where he's like, I, I can't brawl. I can't just fight. I need to jab and move my feet. I think Kai Kara France is going to draw him into a gunfight. I fully see Brandon Moreno winning two rounds and Kai Kara France sloppily winning three close rounds. I love Kai Kara France and I like Brandon Moreno a lot too. This is going to be a chaotic fight. Yeah, for sure. I don't see a finish in this one unless Moreno manages to catch Kai Kara France and then maybe snatch the guillotine or something, a panic guillotine. Um, and Kara France gives a panic tap. But I, I actually see it going the other way. I think Moreno's probably the more high-level experience. You know, Cody got uh, Kai Kara France coming off Cody Garbrandt, which, you know, Cody's got no business being down at 125, in my opinion. And then the Askar Askarov fight last time out, which is a very, very close fight. Brandon yeah. Moreno, he's got more high-level experience. He's been scheduled for five rounds now, three times in a row. Kara France, I expect him to come in in phenomenal shape, ready for 25 hard minutes. But it's just that, that final round where Kara France seemed to break um Cara France yeah sorry Moreno seemed to break Cara France ever so slightly not yeah. he did no no chance Cara, Cara France quits but but Brandon Moreno really really stuck on him in that third round and, and Cara France was tired so that fourth and fifth round could really be the deciding deciding uh rounds I think Brandon Moreno's got that you know just that little more experience and I think Cara France if he does lose this I think he comes again you know he's he's only young he's only He's what twenty nine, so I think he comes again, and I think he, I think he fights for a title again if if he loses this, and of course if he wins this, he definitely fights for a title probably in, you know, January February next year against uh, against Figgy. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. It's a banger. I'm fully expect this one to be a banger. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly run down the card: Derek Lewis, Sergey Pavlovich, Alexander Pantoja versus Alex Perez. That is a good one. Megamet Ankalaya versus Anthony Smith. That's another banger. Alex Morono versus Matthew Simmonsberger, uh, Drew Dober, and Rafael Alves, uh, and Drakkar Close versus Rafael Garcia. Anything else? Anything you want to throw in on any of those? Uh, no, we've got the the second fight in the UFC of Blood Diamond, the best name to ever walk the UFC. Um, disappointing um disappointing debut and you know they've given him another guy in orion uh, koske who's he's good 
I think he is good, and it's it's just another tough fight for Blood Diamond. They obviously they see something in Blood Diamond that that maybe we don't, but you know it is what it is. That draft uh, Drakkar close uh, Rafa Garcia fight is good, I guess. I mean, if, if you don't if you don't tune in for any of the fights before the main card, I wouldn't be surprised. Ankalaev versus Anthony Smith. I'm really liking the way Anthony Smith's talking this week. He's saying, you know, Ankalaev isn't the boogeyman that everybody thinks he is. Yeah, you know. Yes, he's got good striking, but I've got good striking. Yes, he's got a good ground game, but I've got a good ground game. And I think that's going to be that. There's a potential that that's the most competitive fight on the entire card. You know, even even the co-main event that we've just we've just said, you know, how how close that one is. Anthony Smith, like I say, speaking really well uh, this week heading into the fight. He's he's off the back of three straight wins. Yep, I'm I'm excited for that one. And you know, like you say, Pantoja versus Perez is another good fight. Uh, flyweight, I think. You know, I think Pantoja's got a little bit more experience and uh, oh, uh, he actually hasn't. He's got one less fight. I think he's got a little bit more high-level experience. And for Perez, being out all that time, he's had about 90 fights with Matt Schnell fall off. So uh, I think it's uh, for Perez, it's good to, to see another face, you know, be training for another face. Um, we'll have to see, you know, it, Perez's last fight was that, that Figueredo fight, which, you know, that that was what it was. It didn't quite go to plan for Perez. And then Derek Lewis Pavlovich, if that goes past five or ten five or you know, seven minutes, I don't really have an awful lot of interest in it. But Derek yeah. Lewis yet again returning to Dallas, Texas. He's he's never won in Texas. Um <laughs> you know, he lost to Cyril Garni, lost to Taito Avassa, but let's hope yeah. that Derek Lewis can get that win because that last knockout against Taito Avassa, the Albert, was a bad one. So let's let's see what what Derek Lewis is all about. All right, we've gone well over time. Fraser, let's get out of here. Your links will be down below from Tim Wheaton, Fraser Crone at MMA Sucker. Anything else we want to cover off? Nope, absolutely nothing this week because it's a pretty quiet week. We've got contender series, but yeah, just keep it locked to MMA Sucker. We've got news articles coming out each and every day, multiple times a day. So yeah, keep it locked. Cheers.